Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. Is it a day of reckoning for the Southern Baptist Convention? This is episode 94 of En Route. at the intersection of Church and Maine. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Thank you for joining me on this special episode of En Route. I had not planned on um, putting this online or, or creating this episode, but um, breaking news made its creation a necessity. So I want to start things off with a quote. Who cannot now see the rot in a culture that mobilizes to exile churches that call a woman on staff a pastor or that invite a woman to speak from the pulpit on Mother's Day, but dismisses rape and molestation as distractions and efforts to address them as violations of cherished church autonomy. In sectors of today's SBC, women wearing leggings is a social media crisis. Dealing with rape in the church is a distraction. Those are the words of Russell Moore, the former head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. He wrote those words in Christianity Today yesterday in the wake of a report um, that was released yesterday, May 22nd, detailing a pattern of abuse in the SBC and the Southern Baptist Convention and the lengths that leaders within the denomination went to cover up uh, these abusive encounters, and to enable abusers. Now, to say that this report is damning is an understatement. My own personality tends to be somewhat Vulcan. I, I tend not to be easily um, basically moved by, um, moved with emotions on things, but even I was surprised by the details of assaults um, of women, of girls and boys, by pastors and other leaders. The Southern Baptist Convention is the largest denomination in America outside of the Catholic Church. Its last census, I believe, was about 14 million me members, making it also the largest Protestant body within the United States. It's a leading body within American evangelicalism, so that what happens in the SBC determines the course of the wider evangelical church. I spoke with Andrew Donaldson uh, yesterday, uh, today about the report and what might result be the result of its release. Andrew is the host of the popular Herd Tell podcast, and he's also a prolific writer. And for the purposes of this episode, he also happens to be a Baptist 
that knows a lot about the goings-on in the Southern Baptist Convention. So when this story broke um, yesterday, the first person that I wanted to talk to about this matter was Andrew. So I do want to, before we go into the interview with Andrew, this to really urge you to read this uh, report. It doesn't matter if you are um, Southern Baptist or not. It doesn't matter if you are evangelical or not. It is important that you read it. If you don't want to read the entire report, uh, read at least the um, 30 to 40 pages, um, kind of in the middle, uh, starting with page, I think, 147 to about page 190. It will tell you what uh, some of the the actual encounters, uh, abusive encounters that happened, and also the links that the executive committee um, of the Southern Baptist Convention went to make sure that these issues were not dealt with. So with that, let us get to this important interview with Andrew Donaldson. seems like you only have me on when it seems to be talking about issues regarding race. And um, I seem to have you on when it's either war or stuff about the Southern Baptists. Um, but I do want to thank you for being able to come on on such short notice. Yeah, no problem. Always happy to join you. I'm not always happy with the subject matter, yeah. but uh, I'm always happy to talk to you, my friend. I do the same thing to you. So fair play is fair play. We <laughs> But that that's good. That shows the you know relationship we have and the respect I have for you. That we yep. this is where we go with the tough issues. So that's good. Thing. Yeah. Well, um, since this report has come out, and I know that you've read it, and I also know that this is obviously something that has been close to you as a Southern Baptist, and I think probably one of your first interviews um, was related on this issue. Um, what are your your thoughts about the report? Um, did it kind of, you think, capture the, the best picture? Is there things that have been left out? What, what do you think? Well, I'll, Russell Moore said, and I'm quoting him here, it uncovered more evil than even I imagined. And he was in those rooms and, mm -hmm. you know, basically got ran off for trying to identify it. He held whole conferences about this. So if he's saying that, and he's someone who knows a lot of this, um, I'm sure we're just dealing with tip of the tip of the iceberg kind of stuff with what we know, just reading about it online. You're right. When we first put together Heard Tell, our show, um, one of the very first, it was actually the fourth or fifth one we put out, but it was the first one I conceptualized I wanted to do was on abuse. Um, not specifically to the church, but it went that way because we had Jennifer Greenberg on. You can go listen to that. It's, it's an exceptional interview. She's great. She's written an entire book on uh, abuse in the church, uh, geared towards survivors. She works with pastors now on identifying abuse, what they can do as pastors. Uh, she's, um, she's a traditional Presbyterian, mm -hmm. um, non-mainline, but the, uh, reformed movement Presbyterian. Uh, so just give you the background there, but it all, it all goes together because she talks about things like power structures and doesn't matter if it's a family unit or a government unit or a business or whatever, that's what happens with these situations. 
So what happens with these situations with the power abuse is universal. And what we read in this report is exactly that. I'll go to what I put in Ordinary Times because it's the best thing I can think of. It's the best thing I can think of. Uh, there's this thing called the Hoffer Principle, a, a philosopher named uh, Hoffer. And it's, you know, everything starts as a cause and winds up as a business and then becomes a racket. And I'll stay by this because it sounds really harsh, but somebody that attends the Southern Baptist Church, I believe this. If you read this, the executive committee and the leadership of the SBC, they come off as a bunch of um, degenerates running a racket. That's exactly what it sounds like when you read this report. Yeah, it's hard to not look at the report and you come off just seeing how thoroughly shot through um, the leadership and the executive committee are. It's just shot through with corruption and um, a lot of trying to hide and I don't even know if I want to say hide the institution of the Southern Baptists is more kind of covering their own butts um, than it was, and, and their friends, than it was even the Southern Baptist Convention. It's, here, here's, here's the question I would like answered that we're never going to get answered, I doubt, even with an investigation. Where, where did this start? Not abuse, because there's always been abuse as long as there's been people. I don't mean that. When did it go from we have a couple renegade bad apples that are doing really evil, wicked things? When did it go from that to being systematic? If that makes sense. Um, again, I'll go back to Russell Moore again. When he wrote his piece, he talked about there's this mythology about the conservative takeover of the SBC in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, both of the men, I'm not going to name them here because I'm, I'm sick of talking about them, frankly. You can go look it up. Um, Paige Patterson's one of them who's still under a lawsuit, among other things. These two guys, and the mythology is, is they went to a, a cafe in New Orleans and they mapped out how they were going to take the Southern Baptist Convention back from the liberals, um, which it was very, it, it was a mess in the 70s, to be fair. That part's not untrue. And they were going to take it back as the conservative resurgence. And that's kind of been the identity of the Southern Baptist Convention for the last 45, 50 years is the conservative resurgence. You'll hear that terminology used by them a lot. Um, it was a top-down, complete rebuild of the denomination. Uh, they, they redid how the seminary system worked. They replaced um, the heads of the seminaries with a lot of names that are synonymous with Southern Baptists now. Guys like Paige Patterson, guys like Albert Moeller, who was, I think, in his early 30s. Like, it was unheard of for somebody like him. I think he was in his early 30s at the time. We put him in front in, at Southern Seminary, which is the flagship seminary, um, and then others. So it was a whole denominational rebranding as conservatives. Somewhere as part of that process, though, what we have in this report now is this stuff started being uncovered by the leadership or discovered by the leadership or whatever terminology you want to use. They started finding out about it because, again, they just did a top-down redo of the entire denomination, so now they got their fingers everywhere, right? As good all leaders do because they were working with all these churches. This stuff starts coming out. When in that process did it become systematic that this stuff was excused, that it was we have to protect the brand um, over and over and over again? And, and this report names names. This is not a flim-flam report. Uh, no. This is names. This is dates. This is victims that have come forward. There's other victims not named, but there's a lot of named victims on here that you can go on their social media, and they're publicly talking about this. This isn't the reason I'm saying that is sometimes we have in the political sphere these, you know, unnamed, but th th this isn't that. 
This is credible stuff. This is people that will openly tell you if you ask them. They're being very open about it. This is names. This is dates. Uh, there are court cases involved in this. There are charges involved with this. There are civil lawsuits going on with this. This is deep. It's wide. It's shot through the hole of the denomination, in my opinion, um, because a lot of people knew about this. When did that go to being systematic? When did it become a, we're going to protect the brand as opposed to we're going to pull this out branch and root? That's the question I want answered because, and why I think that question is the most important question here is, who was in charge when that decision was made? Who came up? Because let's 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 be grown folks here. Um, in football, we talk about coaching charts, like you know, so and so chart. A coach comes up under another coach. When a coach is successful, they hire all his assistant coaches. Denominations are the same way. There was a lot of people that came up under Paige Patterson. There's a lot of people that came up during that conservative resurgence under a lot of the names that are showing up on this list. When, because that's why I want to know when it became systemic, because then we're going to be able to go back through and go, okay, now you can start tracing it back. I don't know that we'll ever have those answers. This report doesn't give us those answers. It kind of does kind of the, the late nineties, especially. And then right around about 2012, 2013, this thing kind of went critical mass and then 2014 to 2016 is when a lot of really bad decisions got made. And then you get the people who weren't going to shut up about it. Um, you know, and those, those folks are in the report too. Uh, that brings us up to the last two general meetings. Uh, that's the national convention, the Southern Baptists that were very fraught. Um, I gotta be careful what I say here. Cause I don't want to betray confidence the year before last, when they did the resolution to do this investigation, when they were demand, this is the messengers. They were demanding that the executive committee submit to a third party, um, somebody that was in the room of the rules making committee that was pitching that was texting me almost live being like, I don't know if it's going to pass. So-and-so is not, they're fighting us. We're doing, I don't know if it's going to get out. Like the, just shocking stuff of like, they did not want this investigation to happen. This report that came out was still somewhat watered down. They limited it. You'll notice um, some people have already pointed it out. There's not a lot of remarks about the current leadership. This all goes kind of stops right about 2019 or so. Mm -hmm. Now, some of that's because you got to put some kind of a stop date on an investigation or you never. So a little, there may be a little conspiracy there, but they're right. There's not the current leadership is not on there. Um, so there's some questions because this is third. They say it's third party. Uh, just let me lay this out real quick. This was done by Guidepost. Technically, they are not under the Southern Baptist Convention, but they are affiliated. They do. There's some money sharing there. They're the financial arm, though. They're not the theology arm. They're not the ministry arm. So they, they do have an independence. And the reason they did that is because because they're financial people, they know how to do audits and investigations. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that, um, you know, a lot of big businesses, they, they audit themselves constantly. They use financial people to do that. Not necessarily. They have criminal investigation people you know, former investigators, former cops, people like that. that that's what these folks do in, in big time finance. This happens all the time. So that, that's not improper in and of itself. It looks to me like a very thorough report. I've read almost all of it now. Ah, I'm going to repeat myself because I think this is the important question. The one thing it doesn't tell me is when did this start? Mm -hmm. I don't know that we'll ever get the answer. I do really want to know second to when did it start? When's it going to stop? Mm -hmm. Because the executive committee clearly didn't want to deal with this. Um, 
they've already gone through a couple really big names that have left the executive committee and left the convention over this. When is this going to stop? Um, and even with this report coming out Sunday night, I checked on uh, certain people that I know to be troublemakers in the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, just to clarify, I don't really consider myself a Southern Baptist. I always call myself a Baptist. I attend a Southern Baptist church, so I will wear that hat. I'm you know, I, guilty. I go to Southern Baptist church. I go to the church I do because I've had the relationship I have with that specific pastor for going on, oh gosh, 18 years now. I've known this man. Uh, this is the second church I've been under his pastorate. I, I went to that church for that pastorate specifically. Okay, so that's the relationship there. I am not a member of that church for this very reason, among others, is it, the Southern Baptist Park bothers me, but we'll talk about that some other time. Um, so just all cards on the table. I found this sickening. I found it offensive. Um, and I'm one of those people that's paid attention to this story, so we knew it was coming. We didn't know when the report, this report, we were we didn't think it was going to be out for a while yet. I I was really upset. I actually was at, I was at a movie Sunday night, um, last night as we record this. I was actually at a movie, so I had my phone off for about two hours. Never fails. I went to an AA meeting, turned my phone off for two hours, Supreme Court thing dropped, you know, go to a movie, turn it off two hours, this thing comes out. Never fails. My phone blows up, and it's just all the Southern Baptist report came out. And, like, I, that's all I had to see, SBC. Actually, the first thing I saw was, SBC reports out. And I was just like, oh God. And then the second thing I saw was 300 pages. And that's when I went, oh, because if it was like 10 pages, 15 pages, the original report they did about three years ago on this stuff, I think was seven pages. And it was just, it was nothing. Um, so when I saw it was two, and I think the PDF version is like 288. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm looking yeah. at it now. This is substantial. This should cause a complete reordering of the nomination. This should cause a lot of heads to roll. This should cause a seismic shift in how money is handled. This should change the Southern Baptist denomination forever. Will it? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Um, I'm going to, if you have some, uh, or patient, I, you talked about that history um, that happened um, with Pressler and um, Patterson. And I want to share what um, Russell Moore wrote because I think yeah. part of it is it's really important. Um, Everybody needs to read, not to cut you off, Christianity Today. It, mm-hmm. It's gone viral, so I don't know how you miss it if you're covering the story at all. It's Christianity Today, Russell Moore. He called it, this is the Southern Baptist apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you something about Russell Moore because I've read his stuff for a long time. I don't know him personally. For him to use the term apocalypse to be the theologian he is, that that's that is the strongest word in his arsenal. To use. It, it is unfathomable for a man like him to use that terminology. I know to a lot of people that's just a throwaway line or, you know, a Marvel movie character or whatever. That's a big, big, big deal for that guy to use that language. And this entire piece, I've, I've tweeted it out twice now and said it's must read. It's must read. You need to read the whole thing. So I apologize for interrupting you, but I want to make sure people, no, 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 that's okay. you, need, you need everything we're talking about. You need to go read Russell Moore's, whatever you think of that man individually. You need to read what he wrote because he knows. And, and there's an antidote in there. I don't want to spoil it of his wife. The last executive meeting they went, you just got to read it. So mm-hmm. sorry to interrupt, but that, nope. that's got to be said here. Okay. So this is what he said. Those outside the SBC world cannot imagine the power of the mythology of the Café du Monde, the spot in the French Quarter of New Orleans where, over beignets and coffee, two men, Paige Patterson and Paul Pressler, 
mapped out on a napkin how the convention could restore a commitment to the truth of the Bible and to faithfulness to its confessional documents. For Southern Baptists of a certain age, this story is the equivalent of the Wittenberg door for Lutherans or Aldersgate Street for Methodists. The convention was saved from liberalism by the courage of these two men who would not back down, we believe. In fact, I taught this story to my students. These two mythical leaders are now disgraced. One was fired for alleged mishandling a rape victim's report in an institution he led after he was documented making public comments about the physical appearance of teenage girls and his counsel to women physically abused by their husbands. The other is now in civil proceedings about alleged about allegations of the rape of young men. We were told they wanted to conserve old time religion. What they wanted was to conquer their enemies and, make, and to make stained glass windows honoring themselves, no matter who was hurt along the way. And that was Russell Moore, um, the former head of the, um, basically the public policy arm for the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, that's a pretty damning statement um, to basically, as he said, going back to that, that takeover um, and if I read the report correctly, um, even with Pressler, when that meeting happened, it was not that long before that, that he had gotten into some trouble um, with um, sexual abuse already. Yeah, I'll just go there. Uh, oh, yes, you go ahead. I'm going to go there because I, you know, again, I don't care. I, I'm looking for truth here. I question the whole narrative of that whole thing now because it's such a good story and it's such a good mythology. Um <coughs> You know, our, I grew up around a lot of Assemblies of God folks, our Pentecostal friends. The Azuzu Street Revival yep. is, is big in their mythology. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, the Methodists have theirs. Um, you know, the, the 95 Theses for our Reformed friends. Mythology is a powerful thing. I, I'll go there. Mythology is a really powerful thing. Um, you're a pastor. When you, go to, <laughs> when you do a sermon, you always go understand how I'm using this. I don't mean it as bad. You do a bit of mythology building when you do a, a metaphor or analogy. That's, that's it's, it's mythology building. There's only two men that were at that meeting. It's such a good it's such a good story now, and I know for a fact because I've got it in black and white. Both men are known liars, and I know both men were building a power structure for the purpose of building a power structure, and it had a cross on it, it had a Bible verse underneath it, and it was all for the greater glory of the kingdom and blah 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 blah. That's what I know about these two men now. So I question if that even happened. Was that just the mythology building for them to take power and to build up what they built? Now, a lot of people are going to scream and go, well, look at all the good it did. Really? Uh, I'm sure there was some good done. But, uh, again, the rank and file is not the leadership, but the leadership bears blame here. I, we have to question, honestly, everything about these two men's ministries. We have to question, and this is unfair, but this is the world we live in. Everybody that brought up through their ministries, and Paige Patterson's, we talked about that coaching tree, Paige Patterson's tree goes deep, and it's wide. And, of course, he was head of a seminary for decades until very recently, last, I think, six, seven years ago. Um, that tree goes a long way down. What else was he teaching besides Bible? What else was he teaching his pastors? and men of faith and the staffs of his church. 
how many people got taught that, oh, no, well, the pastor's the head of the church, so we have to keep this all quiet because we wouldn't want to do anything to damage the church. Oh, well, we, we don't want to, we, we got to protect, you know, the innocent people here. So, you, you know, you're, you're going to have to learn how to forgive. I, I think the most damning thing that Russell Moore wrote, and people will kind of skirt over it, but I keep thinking, you brought up that first podcast I did with Jennifer Greenberg. She talks about this a lot. Her book is shot full. The entire premise of her book, go get it, um, Not Forsaken. Um, excellent book. Please go buy it if you know anybody that's been abused in the church. The most damning thing he wrote about, um, I'll just quote it to you because he said it better than he said. He said, and yet the very good Southern Baptist impulse for missions, and, and missions there is not just missionaries. The mission fund is the big fundraising push. In the South. We just did Lonnie Moon not four weeks ago for Easter. It's the biggest uh, fundraising drive that the Southern Baptist Convention does every year. It's for missions, right? For cooperation, it's often weaponized in the same way that grace or forgiveness has been in countless contexts to blame survivors for their own abuse. The report itself is Russell Moore writing. Itself documents how arguments were used that, quote, professional victims and those who stand by them would be the tool of the devil to, quote, distract from missions. It's, it's so damning because what is the tool of an abuser? It's always the victim's fault. They're, the the abuser is the real victim. You're victimizing them. Why would you hurt them? Why would you betray them? And then we take all these Christian concepts like forgiveness and, you know, um, submission to authority and all this, and these abusers warp it because they can use that language and use that terminology, and it has extra power because of the religious connotations and the theological connotations. Power structures. Abusers love power structures because look at the toolkit it gives them to use against people. So when Russell Moore writes this stuff about using grace and forgiveness, and you talk about those two men coming up with this mythology, was the whole thing a lie? I, I mean, that's a question the Southern Baptist Convention isn't going to touch. But no. that's the first thing I thought of was, well, wait a minute. I've got two guys who built a movement, a multi-million people, multi-billion dollar movement that is the stuff of legends for two generations of pastors now. Three, really, if you count the, the current reform stuff, but that's another topic for another day. How many people? Was it all a lie? Because it was. It came from two liars. It is irrefutable that it came from two liars. Now, theologically, there's plenty of good stuff in there. You know, they wanted to talk about biblical inerrancy. They wanted to talk about getting back to the Bible. They spent a ton. The Southern Baptist money. The Southern Baptists have one of the best disaster relief programs of any organization in the world. I mean, they're worldwide doing it. Excellent. Like they they've done lots of good stuff. But there's this core rot, and now that you know that the rot goes all the way back to what we now know as the Southern Baptist Convention in the late 70s, early 80s, and by contrast, you know, that that paralleled with the Mormon majority and Jerry Falwell's movement. Uh, Jerry never officially went with the Southern Baptists, but they had a very good working relationship. Liberty was the Southern Baptist school of choice for decades and decades before Junior went off the deep end. Um, there, there's a lot of strains, and then you start talking about money and power. You talk about the political power. You talk about the money. And it's really easy to see, man, this thing got rotten in a hurry. The power structure got so big. And I, to answer the first question I had when we started this conversation, I'm tracing it back to two men that we now know are known liars and known abusers. Were they abusers then? When did they become abusers? 
we now have some evidence that they were abusers right then. Mm-hmm. So did so were they doing these, you know, was the left hand building up the church while the right hand was using the abuse at the same time? Did those go in concert? Because that puts an entirely different light on what the Southern Baptist Convention, again, not the rank and file in the pews, not everybody, not every church, not every pastor. That's not what I'm saying. But when your leadership is doing that, Paige Patterson is an immensely influential person before his fall a few years ago, and people disowned him. When the leadership's doing that, it is impossible for the rot to not go very, very deep and very, very wide in that church. So recently I was doing um, some work on um, looking actually at some of the um, SBC resolutions that um, on the issue of abortion, um, looking back at ones from the early 70s um, to ones that came out more recently, especially one that came out last year. Um, and the people behind it were part of what has been called the abortion abolition movement. What's interesting about those um, resolutions and those viewpoints um, after reading all of this and is how little they talk about the woman involved. Um, it's as if they don't exist, that this baby just appears. Um, and so I'm wondering, and, and we'd like to get your, your thoughts on this, is there a link between how these men viewed women and abuse? I don't know. That's a that's a really long bridge to get between them two points. Mm-hmm. Let me let me put it to you this way, because I, I I I would have to speculate too much on things I don't know about. I think we we're going to be able to judge by some people's actions going forward, though. Here's how. Um, let's say the, the normal Christian view across most of Christendom is life begins at conception, give or take. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So they're pushing for legislation, abortion legislation from conception. There's a couple of bills in a couple of states that are literally conception-based. Okay, fine. What about IVF? What about medical treatment for entopic pregnancies? What about... Um, things you know there there's even if you believe that there's still some nuances in there that you have to deal with on a just on a practical level i think there needs to be a little bit more humility uh when it comes to this debate on a couple of levels one is um your the problem with abortion is always going to be the there's so many cross streams with abortion because you're dealing with when does life start you're dealing with what really what you're dealing with. What does it mean to be human? When do you go from a bunch of material to being a human being? That's really the question at stake. That's a hard question because science is never going to be able to answer that question. They're going to try to, but they really can't. Okay. So that's part of it. Then there's all the political stuff on top of it. I think the church, I, there's a real danger here that they're going to overcompensate. I would watch the actions of the people that become, you said absolutionists. Um, I don't know what term you want to use. Watch for abolitionists, excuse me. Watch for the people that start doing that stuff. Like, oh, well, IVF is murdering a baby. And I know our Catholic friends are going to have a rough go here for the next few minutes. Sorry, guys, just hang in there. We still love you. I'll still give you casserole. Don't worry. Um, You know, contraception, IVF, entopic pregnancies, um, 
situation we had, uh, my, my third daughter, she was actually a twin, only one developed, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like this. Um, just everyday stuff that's involved with the creation of life that's happened since there were two people that started creating life. There needs to be some humility. The people who have zero humility and have an absolute like that and go to the wall for it, I think those are the ones you watch, and that's where you start looking for what you're talking about. Is it more than just a good faith debate over abortion where there is there is a lot of people that have a lot of different views and the science is not ever going to be adequate. The spiritualness is never going to be adequate. You know, the theology is never going to convince the science people. The science is never going to convince the spiritual people. It, it's a, it's a hard, hard topic. Watch for the people that have zero grace and zero bend and zero humility to this discussion whatsoever. Those guys, and you're already seeing some of them like you're talking about those guys you can start marking for what you're talking about, that maybe there's more to it than just that. Maybe there's some misogyny to it. Maybe there's some patriarchal, well, I control when such and such happens, which is ridiculous. But, you know, I, I think you you don't know the heart. All we can do is judge. We can fruit inspect was Christ's version of this. <laughs> you know, we can watch their, action, watch their actions, and that'll tell you where they're at on this, whether they're good faith people of this. I, I think we want, look, I'm always going to err on, this is such a hot topic. You got to remember, I, I just talked to somebody this morning about this, and they were very upset. And I said, you got to remember, I was like, you don't know, especially dealing with women and mother, you, you don't know. You have no idea which, which women, which mothers, which daughters, you, you don't know. Don't assume you know. You don't know. You don't know what their situations are. Watch for the people that have no humility. This is kind of a universal truth, but especially on something like this. Watch for the people with no humility. Watch for the people who immediately want to just start throwing stones at the harlots, to use the mm-hmm. biblical term here, because that's what they're really wanting to do. They, they just want to use the W word and yell at women. Their actions are going to show them. So the people that you're referring to in that manner, I think that's how you sort that lot out. They're going to reveal themselves because they can't help themselves. Yeah, and I probably should should have clarified that it wasn't um, kind of trying to paint everyone on the pro-life oh, no, side sure. with a wide brush. Yeah. But these people specifically just in the how it seems like how they're, they're viewing people and, and especially women just makes me wonder if there is some connection and some, or not connection, direct connection, but something that makes it seem related and, you know, it, well, yeah, I, it's power. It, it's yeah. it's people that want to be in charge of everything, right down to how other people act and how other people, you know, they people that want control will always veer towards wanting control. Mm-hmm. Like they can't even help it. Like they're they're going to always go that route with it. You got to watch them, folks, especially in a church environment, because a church isn't supposed to be about control. Pastorates aren't supposed to be about control. We got a real problem in even, and I hate this term. We we've gone around and around this before, but for lack of a better one, until we come up with something better, evangelical Christianity, especially Protestant, especially conservative Protestant churches, got a real problem in the pulpit because so many of those churches were personality based around the pastors and pastoral authority. That's where you get abuse scandals because there's no there's no accountability in that setup. Um, that's why I'm. Personally, I think an elder, whether you call it, you can call them what elders, deacons, trustees, whatever you want to call them, you know, some kind of an elder system where the pastor is still responsible to somebody. 
is a much more biblical model. And I think the Bible even says that, you know, I don't want to get into a theology lesson, but, you know, Christ worked in a group, you know, God incarnate had a group of people around him. You know, you, you, you're not supposed to be out there by yourself with nobody around you. All right. Cause you're not better than he was. He needed 12. You might, you probably need at least 25, 30 minimum, you know, <laughs> you see what I'm saying? I'm being a little yeah, yeah, yeah. about it, but like you, you know, these lone wolf pastors were, they're just, you know, the benevolent dictators of the churches that has done enormous damage. But what happens is, you know, they'll point to the 10 or 12 people that build these mega churches and go, well, look how well it works. Well, yeah, but there's like 10 or 12 of those guys and there's, you know, hundred thousand churches in America. The math don't work. It's not scalable. And then what happens is you wind up with some really untoward people in, in positions of ultimate power who shouldn't be there because that's the model instead of, Hey, let's have some biblical churches. Do you know how the, this is kind of to a side, but I just found it interesting. Do you know how the Amish do their pastorate? No. Have you ever read not. on it? Mm-hmm. Every man of the community is expected to take a turn at any given time. They do not have set pastors, mm-hmm. depending on the branch, but I'm talking about old line Amish. Every man of the community is just expected to take a turn from time to time for a certain period of time, and they'll take the role for six months a year, whatever the term is. I mean, that's an extreme because I, you know, I think there is something to be said for, you know, studying a professional pastorate, but man, I, they got a better idea than what these guys are doing. That dictatorial system, this is going to make a lot of preachers mad. Go ahead and get mad. Send letters, um, four for the fire at gmail.com. Go ahead. Um, I've been around preachers all my life. Bring it. I've, I've been in them super conservative, you know, Bible meetings, you know, you're, you, yeah, none I ain't seen, folks. Okay. I've, I've been to Gospel Light in July. I know what those meetings look like. All right. <laughs> the people that know know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, that's, that's something that's got to be dealt with because, again, here's this term again power structure. Do you have a healthy power structure? Healthy power structure always. Healthy church, healthy home, healthy family, healthy community always has accountability. Mm-hmm. And when you get a power structure, whether it's on the abortion debate or on the abuse debate or what we're reading in this SBC report, anytime you've got somebody in power that is completely against accountability, watch out because there, there is only one reason they don't want to have accountability without exception because human nature is undefeated. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that has been fascinating, you know, it, for me as a pastor, every few years I have to go um, – through what's called boundaries training, um, which is basically understanding kind of the boundaries and things dealing with sexual abuse. You kind of have to know that and and you do that every few years. Um, And reading some of the report where I think they were trying to maybe put together a conference where people would just know the signs, know the problems that were happening. And, the executive committee or some of the other groups basically put the kibosh on that. And I mean, you know, they weren't asking for anything deeper than just simple knowledge. And even that was just too much um, for, for these people, these men. You know, here we, here we go with men again. Um, and there's women enablers too. We don't want to just, oh, true, true. but um, the Southern Baptist Convention has, you know, the men are still the vast majority of the pastors. They don't have women pastored for the, for the most part. Um, there, there's no way to separate the two issues. There, you know, 
not all misogyny leads to abuse, but all abuse starts with misogyny in some way, shape, or form. It just does. It just does. And when you have a system where these men are told that they are specially pulled out and called out, which I understand callings. I don't want to go down that road. You pump these guys up to being more than what they are. What do you think was going to happen? And let me, let me, let me come at it this way because I don't, I want to try to stay focused on this. We could get real far afield in a hurry and it's your show, not my show. So I don't want to talk too much, but let me, let me put it to you this way. Um, something my father told me a long time ago that popped back in my head a couple of years ago and I actually called him and asked him about it. I was like, are you sure you said this? Because I want to make sure I didn't misremember it. He told me a long time ago, and this is somebody that was a bivocational pastor, okay? He, he said, you always always watch out for a pastor that wants to be more than a pastor. Mm. And it's such a simple thing to say, but, you know, coming from a guy that spent 40, 45 years of his life pastoring in places you can't find on a Google map, didn't take a pay raise for 26 years. I know that for a fact. Um, and when I'm saying pay raise, I'm talking about five figures, and the first one wasn't a three until recently. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, watch out for pastors that want to be more than pastors. It's such a simple phrase. But when you go read this report, how many people would have stayed out of trouble if they just adhered to that? And I'm not saying pastors shouldn't be on committees or shouldn't be on national boards or, you know, shouldn't do any of those things. I, I understand there has to be a bureaucracy to hand something like the Southern Baptist Convention. You have to have some executive leadership because it's so big and there's so much money, which that's another debate for another day. But still, you know, you got to you got to be able to helm the ship. I get that. But man, how many of these people say they want to be pastors, but they spend so much of their time wanting to be more than a pastor? That's where a lot of this starts, because if, if, if you're a pastor, and I'm going to cast some dispersion here, so I'm sorry for the innocent parties that might get caught in this. I'm sorry, but there's just no other way to say this. If you're called to be a pastor of a group of people, you don't got time to do anything else if you're doing it right. You don't. You don't. Go ask real pastors that are pastors. If I'm, you can have a pastorate of 12 people that will absolutely eat up your life if you're doing it right. Like, the, we, we have this disease in the evangelical church right now where the pastorate has become this executive position. And I understand some churches are so big that it has to be this way, where it's, you know, you're just working up the corporate ladder to be the CEO of a really big church. That's never been healthy. I don't think it's ever going to be healthy. And I'm not even knocking mega churches. But is that really a pastorate? I mean, these are fundamental questions that the churches have never stopped to ask because we're just so busy with, oh, we're building big buildings, and oh, we're growing, and oh, the money's coming in, and oh, look at all the great things we're doing, which is great. But then you start reading all this stuff, and you start finding out what's going on underneath. And again, it's not, it's a minority of churches that have abuse in them, I understand it. Did we ever stop to ask some fundamental questions? What, what's a church? What's a pastor? Like, like, seriously, if you just sat down the average church member and said, what's a church? What are they going to tell you? What, what's a pastor? What should a pastor of a, of a local church be? 
I would love to hear some of those answers because I bet you you get 100 different answers from 100 different people. But we're not asking those questions. We're asking the, well, how do we grow? How do we have more churches? How do we have bigger churches? How do we have better churches? We better get some better pastors. We're so busy growing churches, and we don't, we seem to have a leadership problem. The SBC report shows me a vast leadership problem, a systematic leadership problem. And it took the form of abuse in this case, but look at all the other, other problems. There's financial abuse in here. There's financial mismanagement because they had to hide all this stuff. There's just straight up bad morality because they lied and had to cover this stuff up. There's so much leadership failure. You could teach three college courses on the leadership failures in this report before you ever got to the sexual abuse, which is the really evil, wicked part of it. And I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated because it should have been obvious to everybody that the leadership was off that far because everything rises and falls on leadership. This is a damning indictment of leadership. I don't care if it's biblical, secular, military, whatever standard of leadership you want to be, the leadership failed and failed badly, it failed criminally in some cases here. That's that's something that's got to be addressed generationally and from the bottom up. And it's got to start with some basic questions like what is a pastor? What is a church? What is a denomination? I hope they, they do some soul searching and work through those questions. What do you think is going to be the fallout of this report? Um, how do you think it's going to change the denomination in the next few years? <sighs> it ought to change everything. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is all subjective opinion on my part. So don't, I'm just prefacing this. This is just opinion. The Southern Baptist Convention is a billion dollar business. It's too big to fail. I think the, <laughs> the problem here is the, the people that we thought was going to schism the, the Southern Baptist Convention over the last two years, they kind of got put down at the last General Assembly a little bit. They're the ones that's actually against this report anyway because they think this report is an attack on the devil. So the people that were going to schism, they're not going to schism over this because they think this is nonsense and distracting. And can we get back to talking about politics? Because that's the important thing. So that's kind of the screwy, really weird thing is like the people that were getting ready to leave, they're probably going to stay more because of this than leave because of this. So I don't know that we're going to have a schism over it. Um, it is irrefutable. You can go look at the numbers. Baptisms down, membership down, giving down, cooperative program up a little bit, but that's because it's the same people giving more. They're not expanding their base out. Um, the Southern Baptist Convention is just bleeding itself to death. I think that accelerates after this. Um, I don't know how you have a brand of a biblical church, uh, especially a conservative biblical church with this kind of scandal. There's going to be a fallout. Um, there's good men. J.D. Greer just rotated off uh, if you read this report, J.D. Greer comes off looking really, really good. Mm-hmm. He does. Um, in fact, I was one of the people I was trying to get on the show, my show, to talk about this, and they're like, I just can't. It's just too, uh, which I totally understood. That's the first thing they, they, the first thing they said was, they said, what does it say about J.D. in the, in the report? I told him, I was like, he, he comes off looking like a million dollars. Um, there's others. Russell Moore, of course, left the denomination. Uh, let's 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 take another one. This is going to really get certain people. Mad. Beth Moore. Um, mm-hmm. You have people like John MacArthur who spends an inordinate amount of their time focused on Beth Moore. You know how does that crap look now? And I'm not accusing uh, John MacArthur of abuse, 
but he has been abusive towards her online verbally and inarguably. You can go look at his tweets. It's ridiculous. Even if you don't like her, even if you like you don't like her theology, her writing, you don't think a woman should be a preacher, blah, 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 blah. You don't have to go where he went over and over and over again just for his seal clapping minions to approve of. There, there, there's a lot of crap that's got to be sorted through here. You know, again, comes back to leadership. Who are they going to get to go in and clean this up? Because the J.D. Greers of the world aren't going to do it again. He did it for a year just out of – I'm putting words in his mouth here, but I don't think I'm wrong. He Just out of duty, he did it for a year. He's not going to go back in there and do that again. Nope. Um, I, I don't know who goes in and fi- – you know, <laughs> you have right now – people in the, con- the 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 so-called you know baptist conservative network which is the real hardliners heavy trumpian and, and i'm not dispersing trump voters that's they're very proud about they they're mad the southern baptist convention isn't a holy arms subsidiary of the republican party that's their gig you know they're already casting dispersions on the leadership right now saying they're all a bunch of hypocrites for even bringing this up i don't i don't know that there's a leader that can go in and clean this up I don't think there's a committee of people that can go in and clean this up. I don't think the Southern Baptist Convention is going to cease to exist anytime soon. But I think I think we're in a, a long, slow decline, and that long, slow decline got a little more steep on the on the curve on the chart because of this. I think it may it may get precipitously steep if they don't handle this pretty pretty bluntly. Um, you know, again, a lot of the rank and file, most of them may not even know this is going on. It's hard to tell, depending on how online they are. Hopefully, pastors are addressing this. I don't know if they are or not. Um, but, you know, the denomination is getting older. Um, it's not diversifying the way it needs to be done. Um, I, I, I think the decline continues. I think it speeds up a little bit. And I think the goodwill of good people. Here's the real danger here, just so I don't ramble about this too long. And I'm sorry for talking so much. But this is a frustrating topic for me. I think the real danger here is not that this declines the denomination. I think this drives off the good people. Mm -hmm. And that'll take a couple of years to really show like how many good, good people are not, I'll go to the Liberty thing. Like, you know, how, when, when junior ruined Liberty and I'm connected to the school. So I, I, I know certain things there, you know, I attended the school online. I know people there. Um. Yeah, I don't want to go into. I I I know some stuff that's going on there. Okay, we we've talked about it before. Like I told you before, it happened. What was I like? Hey, this is getting ready to happen. What happens when these schools go bad, like a Liberty or like a Southern Baptist Convention? How many good guys don't go to seminary now? How many good people uh, leave the denomination for another denomination? How many good people? How many pastors? Remember, these are independent local churches. They don't have to be in the cooperative. How many of these churches, and we've seen a lot of them, how many of them just leave the denomination, take their church with them? Like, hey, we're going to go be community Baptist church or whatever the case may be. There's there's a lot of that. The good, the good, the danger here is the good people will not stay because the good people cannot stay. They cannot stay. If, if they're good people who are biblically sound, who care about the church, they can't have fellowship with that. And I'm pointing at the report um, since we're doing podcasting here. They can't stay with that. Because they're not good people anymore if they do. So they've either got to fix it or they got to leave. They don't have they don't have a third option anymore. And you've had two general meetings in a row now where the people are screaming at the leadership to change it, overwhelmingly saying change it, and they're pushing back. So at the next annual meeting, how many of those people just don't show up? 
because you didn't listen to them. Now you got the bad people, more of them, they'll have more say than ever. That's the real danger. That's the generational danger here. And then once that happens, now your precipitous slow decline, now you're going off a cliff because the, the few good people that keep it going, that's my fear that the fallout here will be that the good people will leave because they can't have fellowship with what's in that report. They just can't. They're, they're going to walk away. And I don't know. We'll see that. We see how the numbers play out. It'll take a couple of years to really find out. And then if this gets really messy, if they really fight this, if, if it really comes out, you know, which I don't know how this doesn't get messier. I just don't see how it doesn't. Um, I, I think you could be looking at this denomination imploding on itself. Well, I mean, I, I, one big issue would have to be legal issues. I mean, what is that going to look like? Because to me, that's going to be This is too big a target. At some point, some, some, some really auspicious DA or USDA is going to get a hold of this thing. It's just too much. Um, Southern Baptist Convention is based in Nashville now, Tennessee. So obviously more of a conservative area, but still, I mean, I look, if you're looking to make a name for yourself as a prosecutor or as a you know, U.S. attorney, that's a big, fat, open target, man. And abuse, abuse plays good because that's clear-cut good guy, bad guy. You don't get that in legal cases very often. Abuse cases is one of them. I don't, I don't know how the, these people haven't been prosecuted yet. I mean, I know why. It's the money and the power. But now that the veil's off it, I, I would not be surprised if there's prosecutions. There's, obvi- there's going to be a ton of civil lawsuits come off of this now. Um, and, you know, statute of limitations and things like that for different places. But there, there's no way there won't be a ton of civil lawsuits coming out of this now that there, this report's come out. And it's come out from something that was semi-sanctioned by the Southern Baptist. So they're going to have a hard time keeping it out of court. But the other problem you get into this, and we'll get you need to get one of our legal friends on to discuss this more. But what happens is now is one reason people don't pursue lawsuits is because they don't know where to go with their discovery. Well, now they know where to go with their discovery. They got a blueprint. They know exactly who to go talk to. This is a roadmap for civil litigation um, because now you can go to discovery and go, okay, go give me all the records from, you know, August 6, 1996 to August, you know, 28th, 1996. And let me see what you're, because, you know, these churches keep pretty good financial records. You know, did, 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 a, did a check get cut to a member for some reason that's not otherwise explained? Did somebody get a, get a big hunk of the bereavement fund without anybody dying? See what I'm saying? Like they all, you're going to find out quick. Um, I I would expect that this is more beginning, middle of the beginning than ending. Um, I fear for a lot of innocent people that are going to get caught up in this because bad bad people never go down alone. You usually plow through a lot of innocent people to get to them because they're going to human shield themselves. Um, Patterson did that on his way out before they finally gave him the full boot in 2015. Um, yeah, man, it, it's going to get worse before it gets better for the Southern Baptist Convention. And again, it breaks my heart because there's a lot of good people in, the, in that denomination. This is a denomination that gives an excessive amount of charity money. They do a lot of good work. Um, and it's all tainted. It's all tainted by anybody that can do a Google search. Kind of, we get close to wrapping this up, but um, the next um, meeting is um, this summer in Anaheim. Do you think that there will be any more talk about this report um, during that meeting? Well, the last meeting, what happened was they kept trying to move off of having an investigation and the, the messengers, which is what the, mm-hmm. the 
to be clear for folks who don't understand what happened, um, you do have to sign up. There is a process, but these are just rank and file members and they can stand up and ask questions. You know, they queue up in a microphone and the president's got to answer the question. It's an open forum. I mean, there's a little bit of gatekeeping, but not a lot. That's the tradition there. So what happened last meeting was they just started hijacking all the other bit. There was a, the, the famous thing was there was a vote on, uh, I think it was uh, funding for the seminaries or something. And the, and when they opened the floor to discussion, because it's parliamentary procedure, Robert's rules, basically, the, the messengers just hijacked it because every single question they asked was about the abuse investigation. They just hijacked the whole program until finally J.D. Greer had to go out there and go, all right, we're going to address it. And it wasn't J.D. Greer holding it up as other people. He's just in charge, right? You know, they, they hijacked the whole thing until they got the answer they wanted. Uh, yeah, I think that could happen, uh, especially if there isn't a cleaning it. If I was the SBC powers that be, I would clean house before I got to the annual meeting. Because if you don't, you might have a riot on the floor. And, I, and I'm, I'm talking a literal riot. You may have chairs thrown. You may have people going into stage. The, this is going to be ugly if they don't get a handle on this. Now, the other part of that is what I already said. Do the good people just stop showing up because they're so frustrated with it? I think there's a potential for that. But no, we saw at the last meeting, they, they can hijack the agenda of that meeting if they're not happy about something. And it makes the leadership look really bad. Um, I would expect that to happen if there isn't serious change between now and I think that's July, if I'm not June or July, somewhere in there. I think so. Um, before they do it, you know, you got to understand this is 20,000 people showing up to this thing. Like you're, you're not going to be able to, if, if the rank and file are upset, you're not going to be able to keep a lid on it because of the way it's structured. And frankly, if they try to put a lid on it, you're going to really see fireworks because these people that go to this thing, you ever go to a school board meeting and get those three or four people to know every nook and cranny. That's who you're dealing with in these meetings. They know the rules. So if they try to do any chicanery with the rules or they try to shut down, it'll get ugly in a hurry and they will not be subtle and they will not be quiet about it. Um, and again, that goes both ways though. The good people that are trying to get reform, the people that think this is all Satan's attack and please just let us do whatever we want in our churches and don't ask me questions. Those folks will be equally as loud. So um, it's live streamed. I'm, I'm already, I'm signed up. I'll, I watched every, almost every minute of it last year. I'll probably watch every minute of it this year because it's, it's, it's going to be something else. It'll be a show. But again, what do they do between now and then? They can, they can presage a lot of that by doing some, some real honest reforming. I doubt they will. And I think they go to Anaheim with a big old grenade strapped to their back and hoping it doesn't go off. But of course it will. Um, I don't see how it can't. I don't know how I can't, especially considering that they're they're going to have a real leadership issue going into this, because the you know the the ultra conservative MAGA guys are going to really really they tried to get their guy last time and he got put down. Do, does the rest of the convention have that cohesion with this going on now? Does this splinter the good guys, and that one of those guys gets slipped through, which will cause a whole nother set of problems. Um, th this is a denomination that is at a precipice of some really ugly stuff. I don't, is there a leader that can step up and get a hold of this thing and take the reins? I don't know who it is. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend like I know every single, you know, people to do it. Um, I don't know that there is, is there some group of people that can insert some authority and put a coalition together to handle that meeting and get something done? I don't know. I know the behind the scenes, what it took just to get a resolution to have an investigation through and how much they had to water it down to get it through and how it still almost didn't get through. Um, after this, 
could we just see a can could we see a general meeting? It's a convention. They hate that term, but it's a convention. Could we see a general meeting where the the people just end up hijacking the whole thing and they just have to shut it down? I don't know. It, I don't think it's outside their own possibility. Mm. Strange days. Strange days. Indeed. This is the largest. I I just want to repeat it for people that don't understand. Why do we care about Southern Baptist? This is the largest Christian denomination that's not Catholic in America. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is this is millions and millions and millions of people. Like this this is not you know Bob's church. You know, in Sagaway, Michigan. No offense to Sagaway, Michigan. Fine folks. I hear the jams lovely. I'm just saying, the, yes, this is a big deal. The, these are these are very plugged in, politically active members of society that have a bomb going off in something that's a big part of their lives. Yes, that's going to have cultural ramifications. And yes, we do need to pay. You know, we we gave the Catholics a hard time about it. Um, we got to clean our own house. And I'm talking as a Baptist here. We got to clean our own house up here, and and it needs to be done yesterday, not five minutes from now, not after breakfast, not at the general meeting. Now, should have already been done. And the the thing that really angered me about this report is you go you start reading through this, they they, they retained general counsel in two thousand four to deal with this. They had a legal advisor from nineteen sixty six through nineteen ninety eight specifically for this. Nineteen ninety eight, they started taking on extras. Why would they take on extra people, extra counsel in 1998? Remember that timeline we were talking about earlier? Hmm. I'm not real smart, but oh, what else happened right around 1998? The internet. Everybody started talking to each other. Now the victims have power. Now they're all interconnected. It's not just the church. They can talk to people at other churches. Well, that happened in my church. Did your pastor do this to you? That stuff starts happening in 96, 97, 98. We have, all of a sudden we have AOL Messenger. And we have cell phones and we have stuff, the technology changes. You, you telling me that's coincidental? I don't think it is. I don't think it is one bit. And then, you know, mid, mid 2000s, 2007 again, what happened then? iPhones, Facebook, Twitter, a little bit. Twitter was a little bit later, but Facebook, iPhones came out 06, 07. Everybody started getting iPhones, smartphones. You can Google this stuff. You can Google your pastor. Wait a minute. What do you, what do you mean he was ran off two churches ago for? you know, messing around with a teenage girl because people had no idea. Go read. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. No, I, I agree. I, you know, yeah. they, 2004, 1998, look at these dates of when they started dealing with this stuff. 2000, since 2007, Mr. Botto was maintaining a list of, let me just read this for a second. I'm sorry to hijack this, but over the years, the this is from the report. I'm reading it verbatim over the years, page, uh, page four. This is the beginning of the, this is the preamble. Over the years, the existence of these reports of abuse were not shared with the executive committee trustees. That's the oversight of the committee. Nor was the fact that since 2007, 2022, last time I checked, an executive committee staff member working for Mr. Botto was maintaining a list of accused ministers in Baptist churches, including their names, years reported, relevant news articles, state and denomination. In May 2019, emailed to Dr. Ronnie Floyd, who's since resigned, by the way, and scurried back to Springdale, but we'll talk about him some other time. The then EC president, the EC vice president, Dr. Roger Singh Oldham, remember that name because it shows up later on too, acknowledged that, and this is a direct quote from Oldham, for the past decade, I have been regularly sending Augie news reports of Baptist ministers who were arrested, not accused, not rumors, arrested for sexual abuse. This is the report. I'm reading this verbatim. This is a direct quote from Oldham. Sexual abuse for his awareness. 
It hasn't slowed down since the Houston Chronicle article. That's the one that came out uh, two years ago that really lit the bomb on this thing. Stated that on February 10th, Mr. Botto responded. This is a direct quote from Botto, who was the attorney in charge of all this crap. Yes, we are collecting them. That's all the reports. And may even post them in some way. But we'd have to really examine the potential liabilities that would stem therefrom. That's a direct quote. They knew. They knew. Well, I think what, what has been they knew. shocking is that they had lawyers that were running interference. I, when that's, that that's quote right shocking. there, that quote, they'd been, they'd been compiling that data for 10 years when that quote was taken, at mm-hmm. least 10 years that they know of. There is no indication. Let me read you the next line. This is pertinent. There's no indication that Dr. Oldham, Mr. Botto, or anyone else took any action to ensure that the accused ministers were no longer in positions of power at SBC churches. The most recent list prepared by the EC staff, again, they cut a lot of this investigation off right around 2019, 2020. Um, Again, conspiracy people are going nuts. Look, you got to put a stop date on this somewhere. They're going back 40 years on this stuff. Listen to this, though. The most recent list prepared by the executive committee staff members contained the names of, take a guess at what this number is. I'm going to say probably in the hundreds, Keep five, 600. 703 abusers yeah, with okay. 409 believed to be SBC affiliated at some point in time. That's the most recent list as of 2019, I'm assuming, because they were talking about 2019. That's what they start. That's the start of the investigative report. That's what they started working off of. And then it tentacles out from there. They knew of 703 abusers, 409 of them specifically affiliated. That means they were either pastors, deacons, trustees, or some other official church officer to be affiliated. And they had been keeping data by the lawyers for liability for over 10 years at that point. And we already know from earlier in the report that the executive committee started tracking this stuff at least as early as 2007. I'm just, the wickedness of this, how many, I'm going to go back to Russell Moore's thing real quick. I'm sorry. I just, I got to read this because it, it kept me up last night after I read this. So I'm going to read it now because it's probably going to keep me up tonight again. Um, I can't imagine this is Russell Moore writing Christianity today. And remember, he was in these meetings. He was in these rooms. He knows what's in these reports. I'm assuming he may have seen these lists for all I know, judging from what was leaked. I can't imagine Russell Moore writing. Imagine the rage being experienced right now by those who have survived church sexual abuse. I only know firsthand. He's talking about himself. The rage of one who never expected to say anything but we when referring to the Southern Baptist Convention, and I can never do so again. I only know firsthand the rage of one who loves the people who first told me about Jesus but cannot believe that this is what they expected me to do, what they expected me to be. He's talking about the executive committee. I only know firsthand the rage of one who wonders while reading what happened on the seventh floor of that Southern Baptist building. That's the executive committee suite. That's what we just read in the report. Listen to this from Russell Moore. How many children were raped? How many people were assaulted? How many screams were silenced while we boasted that no one could reach the world for Jesus like we could? That's more than a crisis. It's even more than a crime. It's a blasphemy. And anyone who cares about heaven ought to be mad as hell. That kept me up last night. They knew. They knew, yeah. 
they knew this should burn the executive committee to the ground. I don't think it will, but it ought to. The denomination needs to just absolutely fumigate its entire leadership structure. And we're going to stay on the story, but man, you, you start getting into the numbers. It's numbing how many people were abused. You know, I'm a Baptist. The, this is crushing stuff. And it's something that should be the sole focus of these churches for the next little bit to get a handle on it. It's that important. Everything else should stop until this is dealt with. I agree. And there is, I think, a lot to, to deal with here. And what the future is for the denomination, no one knows. Um, what we do know is probably that the next few years are going to be incredibly rocky. Um, and that's, and as you said, I think it's going to have a, an effect, um, I think, on evangelicalism, but I think on the wider church as a whole. I, one of the reasons I've been harping on this, I wrote about in Ordinary Times today. I actually, we put the whole report up. Everybody should just go read it themselves. It's PDF. I know you're not going to read all 288 pages like we are. Uh, it's PDF searchable. The 20, from 161 for about 20 pages, at least read the executive committee section because that's really the, the, the real nasty stuff. Um, at least read that 20 some pages of it. Read Russell Moore's piece on it. This, is, this affects so much more than the Southern Baptist Convention we talk about things like abuse and drug abuse and sexual abuse. And like the, these are little bombs that go off in communities. This is going to tear a lot of communities up because they're going to lose their churches. And the churches are still the center of a lot of communities, especially small rural communities. And these churches come on apart are going to have societal effects, especially in a society that's already fragmented. Now they're going to lose something else. Um, that's going to have a lot of ripple effects. I, I'm brokenhearted for the victims who you know, are seeking justice here that they may or may not get earthly wise anyway. I've got a lot of anger towards the people who covered this up, enabled it, and perpetrated it. That is just beyond my words to really describe right now. But more than all that, um, and what Russell Moore is really touching about, touching on on this, there's going to be so many people that lose their complete faith system over this. Yep. Yes. I've already started, I've already seen it. I saw our Catholic friends went through this when the Catholic church abuse happened. I got, I don't want to call him out, but I'll just, I'll just tell you a quick story. One of my real close friends, um, he went through lower seminary to be a Catholic priest. He was in the Rochester diocese in the late nineties. And if you know anything about the Catholic, he was right. So he's walking around in a clerical collar as a seminary student. When all that's going down, you can imagine what he was getting in the streets. Right. And then 9-11 happened. He's from New York. He's a New Yorker. Uh, he enlisted. Um, we served together. Great, great man. Love him to death. Um, he's still active duty. Um, not quite ready to retire yet. I keep kidding him about it. But I think about what he told me he went through during that scandal in, in you know, the seminaries in the Catholic Church back in the late 90s and having to take the invective. Like, he was innocent, but he's wearing the collar. So he's got to take, and, and he told, he's, he's like, they told us, they're like, look, it's not your sin, but you got to bear it. Like how many people lost their faith over that? How many people in a Southern Baptist church or whatever other church you go to 
how many people are going to lose their faith moorings on this? Not just, not just, you know, like they have a crisis of faith, but they lose, you know, when you lose your church, it's like a divorce, you lose friends, you lose family, you lose connections, you lose identity, you lose a, you lose a big chunk of yourself. If you lose your church, especially if it's a church you've been involved in a long time, I, I really hurt for those people. And there's going to be a lot of them. Um, this reflects badly on the faith. This reflects badly on Christianity as a whole. This reflects badly on America, frankly, because it happened in America. This is going to have a lot of tentacles, and there's going to be more and more victims of different branches as this goes forward. And I don't think almost none of them are going to get any kind of restorative justice anytime soon. It's just going to be a lot of bad. And we're going to have to be vigilant, and we're going to have to try to get the wins where we can get them in this. But mostly, man, it's just going to be beating back the tide as best we can because this is a whole lot of ugly and evil in our midst. And it's it's the fight at hand, and you fight the fights and you fight, and this one's upon us whether we like it or not. I'd love to have something uplifting, but that's, you know, again, this, this kept me up, up last night, and the VA medicates me. It takes a lot to keep me up at night. This this is a this is the fight if you care about your faith and i'm a i'm a very poor christian if you care about your faith at all this is a fight you better be engaged in because all the other stuff doesn't matter it's all tainted it's all t- the money's tainted the ministry's tainted you know all the good you think you're going to be doing if you don't clean this out it's all tainted mm-hmm. because it, none of every everything you list that they've done good is not worth one child being abused and frankly, not just to get theological for a second, I don't want to be the one standing in front of God saying, well, yeah, but we raised X amount of money. And then he turns around and starts naming names of children that got abused. I don't want to be in that position. I don't think anybody else better be because that's what's going to happen to these men. Not a doubt in my mind. Well, on that note. Um... Uplifting. Right? <laughs> um. I know that we will probably be talking about this in the near future, but I do want to thank you for taking the time, um, Andrew, to come on to talk about this. This is an important issue. Um, and um, I think you did a good job of at least helping people understand it. And um, like I said, we will probably have you back on at some point soon. Um, before we let you go, um, if people want to know more, follow you, where should they go? Yeah, I uh, got a lot. of Listen, I will talk to you about any topic, anytime. You're one of the people I respect the most. I love getting your opinion on things. Um, I, you know, one of these times we ought to just talk about food or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I I love you, my brother. I appreciate you very much. Uh, you're one of those people. I always, it's a backhanded compliment, but it's still a compliment. When, when bad stuff's going on, you're one of the people I want their opinion on. And I mean that sincerely. So thank you for the time. I'll always come on with you. A um, couple of things going on. Of course, I'm at ordinary-times.com. Very proud of the work we do there. A lot of different voices. Uh, I'm probably the editor that approves more stuff that he doesn't like than anybody in the history of mankind, but that's the, that's the gig. we got a lot of talented people that with a diverse viewpoint. It's a good thing. It keeps you short and sharp. Uh, Heard Tell Show is my program. It's my daily show. Uh, it's been doing very well, surprisingly. People like to listen to it. Um, we just had Dennis here on a couple of days ago. Um, talking about buffalo unfortunately uh but yeah uh heard tell show all the podcasting platforms youtube also on terrestrial radio 
uh, on one station right now. Might have some news on that in the future, and we'll see how this meeting goes this week. Um, but at Hertel, uh, all the major podcasting platforms, please check that out. Um, and then I've been also doing some uh, writing through Young Voices. The reason I work with Young Voices um, as both a contributor, but I'm also a mentor. It's not something we broadcast a lot, but I'm bringing it up on purpose here. Why do I do mentoring with Young Voices? Because I'm obviously not a Young Voice anymore. I'll be uh, 42 here next week. Don't tell anybody. Um, because I want to prevent what's happening uh, in the Southern Baptist Convention. I want to prevent what's happening in conservatism and on the right. Um, I tell people I don't care about the right. I'm trying to get it right. Um, somebody, you got to mentor the next generation. If you're going to, you, you can only prevent bad stuff. So I've spent a lot of my time the last year and a half. Um, in fact, I just redid my paperwork for next year too. I'm going to do one more year and then they're going to kick me out, I think. Um, mentoring young people that care about freedom, care about liberty, um, care about those words meaning something more than a buzzword. We spend a lot of time with those young folks now. And they're really high quality people. I have a lot of them on my show. You hear them. You hear our, our, how articulate they are, how smart they are. Um, that's one of the most important things I do, I think. Because if you don't train that next generation, whether it's a church or politics or even your own family, you know, you already lost. So that's something I'm really proud of. Young Voices, check them out. And one more little uh, tidbit. Uh, I've been really working on local media um, because local media matters a lot and it's almost dead. This nationalization of stuff is destroying our country more than anything else because everybody wants to argue about what happened on the other side of the country instead of dealing with their own community. So I've been working with local media back in my home state of West Virginia. I've got a piece out right now at the Fayette Tribune that I'm super proud of for a lot of reasons. One is it's just a good story that makes you feel good to write it and feel good to read it. But it's also the type of media we want to start doing in local media and focusing. If, if you can hear my voice, use your social media to talk about things in your local community. Don't just talk about that national stuff. I'm, I'm really passionate about this for a reason. The invective you see online is because you're arguing about stuff that you really don't have a dog in that fight if you really stop and think about it for a minute. So it becomes a spectator sport. Use your social media to talk about your actual community, your schools, your local political leaders. Get involved locally. That's how you start making the country better because that's where it died first, right? It died locally before the national got to be a mess. So start working on the local side of it too. So that was a long spiel. I'm at four for the fire on Twitter. Um, proud of all that. And I'm proud to get to work with you at Ordinary Times. And I love talking to you on your show and my show, my friend. So sorry to be long-winded today, but this is one of those topics where you, you can't really buzzword it. You got to kind of no. dig into it with a spoon. Why a spoon? Because it hurts more. You got to use a spoon. Yep. Sheriff of Nottingham said so. <laughs> cutting the heart out with a spoon is that kind of a topic. Yep. The late great Alan Rickman for people that didn't get that uh, reference. So. I miss him. God, yeah, that man that was just great. Mm -hmm. We need we needed him to play Fallwell in a movie. That would have been great. That yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Andrew, thank you again for coming on, and um, we will talk soon. Anytime, my brother. I appreciate you, my friend. All right. Take care. Thank you, sir. Oh, oh, oh.
Well, I want to bookend this with another quote. The majority of American evangelicals and evangelical pastors aren't guilty of the abuse exposed in the guidepost report or of the abuse exposed in multiple other places at multiple other times. But we are responsible for repairing our culture. On June 14th, Baptist messengers will gather in Anaheim, California for their annual convention. It will be their responsibility to take decisive steps to reform their church. That is writer David French writing today in the Atlantic Magazine. So, will the messengers, or what they call uh, delegates, to the SBC annual meeting take the hard road towards repentance? I don't know. As a mainline Protestant, it would be easy to smirk and to have a sense of, feel a sense of superiority over our more conservative sisters and brothers. But actually right now I'm praying that there will be leaders who are willing to do the hard work, one that will lead towards true accountability and repentance. Change has to happen. The guilty need to be punished. New procedures need to be implemented. Those who were abused and assaulted need to be heard. It has to happen, or else the witness of the entire church, not just evangelicalism, is compromised. So I pray for the Southern Baptist Convention and hope, and truly hope, that justice will roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. I want to thank you for listening. As I've said in uh, recent episodes, I close only with one call to action. So please consider leaving a rating at the podcast platform of your choice. It helps it, uh, makes it easier for people to find this podcast when you uh, are able to give a rating or a review. That is it for this special episode of En Route, the podcast at the intersection of church and name. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Thank you so much for listening. Take care, Godspeed, and I'll see you soon.